This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I want to begin with this question tonight. How do we honor earthly authority? Say earthly authority. The first week we talked about what it means to honor God. Last week, Pastor Doug talked about what it means to honor your spiritual leaders. And today I want to talk to you about what it means to honor your earthly leaders or earthly authority. You see, the Bible seems to have much to say about how we honor authority in relationship to the way that we honor God. So I want to start with three big questions tonight. And here they are, what I'm calling the big three. Number one, does all authority really come from God? That's going to be fun to look at. Number two, how do we honor those we often disagree with? And number three, as Christ followers, how do we honor our civic leaders and those involved with earthly government? If you follow me on Instagram, I said it might get a little heated tonight, a little controversial tonight. The, the temperature in the room might get turned up because I believe that right now we are living in a moment that has presented us with a gigantic opportunity. Now, it may not feel like that to some of you, but I believe that if you would tune in tonight and open your heart tonight and allow God's word to enter into your heart tonight, that you might have a change of attitude and a change of perception about how God wants you to live in the midst of the times that we're in right now. So let's start with this first question tonight. Does all authority really come from God? To begin, I want to paint kind of a big picture how many of you guys believe that God created all things? And he's not just a God who created the world, spun it up, threw it out into the universe, and then walked away and remained distant from it. He's a God who is very much involved with his creation. He's involved with human beings. He's not distant or removed from the affairs of man, but he's actually interested in them. I believe that this same God who created the world and the universe and he did so intelligently, he did so intentionally, and he did so incarnationally. Let me say it again. God created the world intelligently, intentionally, and incarnationally. We see a picture of this in Genesis chapter 1. Let's go there together. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, verse six, let's skip down. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. So right from the start, God begins, the spirit of God begins by bringing order to the chaos of the deep, what the Bible here calls the waters. Now, there's scholarly debate about whether these are actual literal waters or oceans or whether or not they could be a metaphor for chaos itself. The Judeo-Christian perspective, the one that I adhere to and that many Christ followers adhere to is that God created the world ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. That's what the Latin word ex nihilo means, meaning out of nothing, God created everything. So there's nothing that essentially exists within the world today and within our ever-expanding universe that God wasn't the creator and origin of. Even so, we are given a really specific creation account here regarding the deep. 
we are told that the Spirit is present, hovering over the waters. We sing about that tonight, right? That first song that we sing about. The Spirit is hovering over the waters. And then God begins to do what? He begins to separate the waters from the waters. He begins to order things. He begins to bring order to chaos. And why does he do this? Why does God do this? God does this because God is a God of order and not of chaos. God is a God of order and not of chaos. Now, we're not given an account of when these waters showed up on the scene, but here they are in the beginning with God and the Holy Spirit. And there he is just brooding over, hovering over, bringing order, separating, rightfully dividing, right? An expanse is like a separation between sky and water, or what we would call the heavens and the earth. And you see a picture of that within Genesis 1 later on. So right from the start, God is involved in shaping things. It says the, the earth was without form, and it was void. So God steps into that. The Spirit steps into that and starts bringing order to things. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. We actually see a picture of this in the New Testament in Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 14.33, for God is not a God of disorder. There it is, but of peace. But I actually like the NKJV version. Let's throw that up there. It's the next slide. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God loves to bring order to the chaotic things within our life because he is the author of our lives. Do you guys believe that tonight? Because before I can say anything about what it means to honor others or honor God or be under authority, we have to first accept that, that our authority and the authority that is given to earthly leaders comes from the author himself. Authority, author, they share the same word, don't they? They sure do. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And because of that, he loves to bring order to our chaos. I believe that if we truly hold to this conviction, you guys, that if we truly believe this, then we have to accept the fact that God desires that all life should be ruled and governed in an orderly way. Now, I've been told that I can be a little OCD for those that know me. Uh, I have been accused of being a little OCD. I like things in their place. I like to come home and I like my, my bedside to be clean and I like all the things on my little nightstand to be lined up all perfectly and all symmetrically. I like to have my clothes all categorized by colors in my closet. Yeah, I know, I'm crazy. I'm a little out there. When I was a kid, my parents never had to ask me to clean my room or to make my bed. Anybody relate to that? Most of you probably had parents who had to remind you to clean your room and had to ask you to make your bed, and that's all right. And so I've been accused of being a little neat freak, you know, and a little crazy, and I, and I will say this, like, God has helped me with that. I'm happily in recovery today for that need to have everything perfect, praise God. But here's the deal. Regardless of whether you are an OCD or, or a neat freak like me, or you're on the other side of the spectrum and your life's a just complete disaster, you, you would say that you, Pastor Jason, I'm a creature of chaos. Come on, regardless of where you lie on that spectrum, here's what I believe. I believe that every single one of us can learn to honor and submit to God's rule and his order for our lives. If, if we actually believe that he's in charge 
of our life, if he's the author of our life. When answering this first question, do we believe that all authority really comes from God? We could ask it this way. Do you believe that God is the actual author of your story, the one in charge of the details of your life? If he is, then ultimately, God should have the biggest say in how your life needs to be governed and how your life needs to be ordered by him. Listen to what Romans chapter 13, verse one says. And now we're getting down to the nitty gritty, you guys. It says this, let every person, let every person, it doesn't say some people, it doesn't say just the super spiritual ones. Come on, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no, for there is no, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist within the realm of authority have been instituted by God. Full stop. Do you believe this? Do you really, in your heart, truly believe that all authority comes from God? If so, are you living like it? If not, why? Do we only take God at his word when it agrees with our politics and our affiliations? Come on. Do we only accept it when it's convenient for how we want to live? Or could it be possible that maybe we've missed the mark here? If we believe that God's actually in charge, number one, we must accept that all authority, that's right, you guys, all authority comes from God. I believe that recognizing this and accepting this into our life is absolutely critical for the health of our souls. It's absolutely critical to the flourishing of our society and the way that God wants it to be ruled. I'll say it this way, to put it a little differently. Life cannot flourish without God's orderly rule. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you guys will recall from the first week, for those that were with us, this is our series text, and I want to read it together again. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. You might want to underline that in your Bibles or swipe that. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, verse 16, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Might want to underline that as well. But living as servants of God. Therefore, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, for some of you that weren't with us the first week, I made this claim that the emperor at the time that this was written was a very, very, very evil man. And he took great pleasure in persecuting, in troubling, in coming against Christians and believers at this time. And yet, in the midst of great persecution and cultural hardship and societal suffering, the Holy Spirit, speaking through one of Jesus' favorite disciples, says this, honor everyone. Can I tell you guys, and I said it the first week, I looked up the meaning of everyone in the Greek and the word everyone means everyone. everyone. Classic preacher joke. And then he says, love the brotherhood. Love your brothers and your sisters in Christ and fear God. 
Now, if we had just stopped right there, all of us would have been like, "Woo! I think I could do that. I'm good. All right, we give ourselves a little pat on the back. Hallelujah. But he adds on and honor the emperor. Honor a man who at this time was filleting Christians on poles and lighting them for his orgy parties. Honor? That guy? God? Let's press in a little more. This brings us to the second question. Now we can go there. How do we honor those that we find ourselves in conflict with? How do we honor those that we disagree with? And does honor always equal agreement? I made this statement that a lot of the times that I think we allow honor to be hijacked and we struggle with it is because we equate honor with agreement. God never said agree with the emperor. God never said agree with your president. God never said agree with your mayor. God never even said agree with your spouse. Now, some of you have wrongfully been taught that in order to have a healthy marriage, you've got to be in agreement on everything. Can I tell you something? As somebody who's been with my wife now for 20 years, we don't agree on a whole lot. But there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity is the desire for you to agree and to think like me. Can I tell you guys something? If you all thought like me, the world would be in trouble. And if I thought like you, the world would be in trouble. The goal for our life is not that we'd be in uniformity, that we would be robots who all think and act the same way and do everything in agreement perfectly. I don't have an opinion or a voice. I just follow what I'm told. That's not God's goal for your life. God's goal for your life is not uniformity. It's unity. And unity is the bringing together of differences. Come on. My wife and I are so different. For some of you that are married, when you first get married, you're like, oh, I found my soulmate. We love everything. We have all the same tastes and likes and desires, and we're just going to be forever in love. And then you start to spend a little time with that person. And you realize we couldn't be more different. Now, for the rare ones of you out there that are like totally the same, like similar, similar, you are the exception to the rule. But for the vast majority of civilization, God has brought together two very different people so that together they could complement one another. My wife complements my weaknesses with her strengths, and I compliment her weaknesses with my strengths. And even though we don't always agree on everything, we surrender that agreement to come into unity with one another because Together, in unity, we begin to look more and more like the one flesh marital thing that God has desired us to look like. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Jesus quotes it. It's for this reason that a man shall leave his mother and father and become one flesh with his wife, right? So it's a picture of marriage and covenant and oneness, the desire for your life to come into unity with the life of another. That's the picture, Sometimes we struggle to honor because we think that honor has to equal agreement. And I'm here to tell you tonight that it doesn't. Honor does not always equal agreement. I guarantee you that Peter was not in agreement with how Emperor Nero was treating his fellow brothers and believers at this time. So why would Peter and the Holy Spirit tell us to honor the emperor? Here's your short answer. Because by honoring the emperor, believers were actually honoring God. 
by honoring the emperor, believers were honoring God. And this is why Peter uses the phrase, let's go to the next slide, for the Lord's sake. Be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors, and it goes on, here it is, for the Lord's sake. Sometimes we make honor way too personal. The reason God wants you to honor your earthly leaders is because by honoring them, you're learning how to honor the Lord. It's for his sake. It's not for the sake of the emperor. It's not for the sake of governors. It's not for the sake of political parties or affiliations or your comfort or convenience. It's for the sake of bringing glory and honor to God. Can I tell you something? It's hard for me to sometimes honor people that I disagree with. For years, I identified as somebody who loved to fight. I loved to wrestle. I loved to scrap. I I love the conflict. I love to battle. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And sometimes if I'm not careful, I can take that, let's just call it that leaning or that orientation or that temperament and allow myself to not honor the people that God wants me to honor because I want to remain in conflict with them. I really want to one-up them. I want to prove my dominance over them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's how this works. And we see it kind of play out in Hollywood today with what we call revenge fantasies. What are revenge fantasies? Revenge fantasies are where like the protagonist's family gets murdered, right? And then the protagonist goes on like a shooting spree. You know, he trains in the ways of like martial arts and he develops this particular set of skills. And he goes on the offensive to seek justice. And really what he's seeking is revenge, right? Like I'm gonna get even, I'm gonna show them. And, and you guys, like that's most of our natural reactions when we're wronged, right? I'm gonna get even, I'm gonna show them. The idea of honoring other people that are different than us and that might even come against us sometimes feels foreign to us. But here through the word of God, we are given this invitation and command to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Your ability to honor people is going to reflect back on your belief in who reigns supreme in your life. When Jesus tells the disciples to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's recognizing and helping his followers to recognize that there are things that belong to earthly institution that we shouldn't be hung up by. That in giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering to God what is God's, we understand who's actually in control, who's actually in charge of our everyday lives. Now, here's where we're going to have to do a little bit of heavy lifting. Are you guys still with me tonight? Say, I'm with you, Pastor Jay, or say, you've lost me, Pastor Jay. Okay, I'm going to believe that you're with me. As I've already said, honor doesn't always equal agreement. And to add to that today, it does not always mean willful compliance if, if God's own will is being violated. Honor does not mean willful compliance if God's own will is being violated. How do I know this? Because God will never ask you to willfully comply with any order, rule, or government that violates his own will. Can I repeat that? God will never ask you to willfully comply with any order or government or law that violates his righteous rule and his moral law in your life. 
People have utilized the scriptures for years to oppress other people. And that is a violation of God's moral law. Do we believe that? Do we believe in the beginning God created all men equal? Do we believe that? For years, people didn't believe that. And so they utilized this to try to oppress others. And they twisted the scriptures to try to get people to willfully comply with things that were actually against the perfect and pleasing will of God. Now, the trick is being able to actually know and discern what is the perfect and pleasing will of God for our lives. What is God's will? Have any of you guys ever asked that question before? Like, God, what's your will? What's your will for me? What's your will for this planet? What's your will for our nation? What's your will? What does the Bible mean when it uses that phrase, the perfect and pleasing will of God or the will of God? How do we come to know this? Well, when we come together every week on Tuesday, this is how we pray. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done in Salt Lake City as it already is and forever will be in heaven. What are we doing when we're saying that? We're coming into an alignment with what we believe God wants for our lives. So what does God want for our life? Let me simplify it for you. Let's put it up there. Micah chapter six, verse eight. And he has shown you, courageous church, he has shown you, oh man or woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Can I say it again? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, just because it sounds simple doesn't mean it is simple, right? Because we screw this up all the time, don't we? In our personal affairs, and our, our time with each other, we don't always do justly. We don't always love mercy. Sometimes we want revenge, right? We, 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 want, to come up, we want our comeuppance. And we don't always walk humbly with God. We allow pride to get in the way. But I don't think that we have to overcomplicate this. A lot of times people that come to me and say, Pastor Jason, I need you to pray for me. I just know what God's will for my life is. I take them here and I say, well, let's start here. How about just start by doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God? The Bible actually says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So for some of us, the invitation is just to start here, you guys. Just to be able to walk humbly with your God might be your greatest battle if you're somebody that struggles with pride. To do justly might be your biggest battle if you're somebody that struggles with lying. To love mercy might be your biggest battle if you're somebody that loves to judge others and criticize. So what happens when we're asked to comply with governmental orders that we believe violate God's will? Well, I'm glad you asked that's really what we want to know, right? What happens when we face real injustice? What happens when we experience not mercy, but cruelty? What happens when the proud, those who neither walk humbly with their God or serve him, take up an active position against us? Turn with me to Acts chapter five. And this is going to be a long passage, so I'm going to try to move quickly, friends. Here it is. Acts chapter five, verses 17 through 32. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, next slide, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So the apostles are given a commission by God that directly contradicts the rule and the government, the governance of the people. 
And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the mayors and governors and leaders, right? And all the senate of the people of Israel. Next slide. And sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They're not obeying you. They're violating your rule. They're coming against what you said to do. Verse 26, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They were teaching in what name, you guys? The name of Jesus. Yet here you are and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You violated what we told you not to do, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, saying, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Verse 30, for the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and as savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What's the point here? The point here is that you and I are called to obey God. We're called to obey God. You might, you might find yourself put in prison or persecuted, or at the mercy of people that are, have been put into actual positions of power and authority. But remember that God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7 declares it right here. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If we believe that God's actually in charge of our lives, then we, number two today, must also accept that God can, next slide, and will remove people from positions of power and authority. If we believe that he's the author and all authority comes from him and that he appoints people, we also have to accept the fact that he can remove people. That what goes up often comes down. What am I saying here? I'm saying that God will judge all things. You and I are not called to be the judge of all things. In fact, when you and I judge things, how does that often work out for us? Not too well. I'll be honest. I'm not even a great judge of my own heart, let alone my brother. And the cool part is that God doesn't ask us to be. God will judge all things and he will hold to account those that have ruled unjustly. See, sometimes people are like, but how can I honor the emperor if he rules unjustly? God will judge the emperor for what the emperor does with the authority that he's been given. Authority can be used justly. Authority can be used unjustly. But it's God who's the judge of that, not you or me. He will hold to account those that rule unjustly. Don't believe me? Listen to what the scriptures declare. Isaiah 33:22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And he will save us. 
not your political Messiah, but the Lord alone will save us. Isaiah 66, verse 16. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his own sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. God, I thought you were just a nice guy up in the sky. God will hold people to account with fire and judgment. I'm just going to let that simmer for a moment. The Lord will judge. Psalm 9.8. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. You guys remember Pharaoh? How did things work out for Pharaoh, a ruler who ruled and oppressed people and, and did so unjustly? Not too well. How about Nebuchadnezzar? Anybody remember what happened with Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, things didn't turn out well for him either. What about the evil kings and the false prophets of Israel that opposed the people of God? What happened to them? Many of them died by way of the sword. What about modern figures like Hitler or Stalin? Yeah, they're not exactly given a pass, you guys. Many evil leaders will meet their end in cruel and disfiguring ways, and we've seen it all throughout history. But it's the Lord that will be the judge of them, not you and not me. It's been said that heavy is the head who wears the crown and heavier the head of the man who wants it. Many of us believe if we could just get the right perfect leaders in place, then the world would be put to rights. If we could just get the bad guys out. Can I tell you, there's going to be another bad guy after that guy. And after that guy, and after that guy. Why? Because people are wicked, because hearts are evil. And no matter what we try to do, there's always going to be another bad guy on the scene, you guys. So if we're waiting to only honor people that we think fit into the category of good guy and bad guy, we might be waiting a while. That's what I'm trying to tell you. By my account, there's only one man that executed perfect leadership and judgment in the earth, and his name is Jesus, the God-man the Christ, the anointed one. He's the one who shows up to bring judgment. And we need to remember that God doesn't appoint people to positions of power and authority because they're perfect. He appoints them to positions of power and authority because our broken world needs checks and balances, because it needs rule, because it needs governance. It needs ordering, not more chaos, not more confusion. And as a result, he'll use fallen human beings like you and like me. And even those we disagree with to accomplish his perfect and pleasing will in the earth. And that should be encouraging to us. It encourages me because when things don't happen the way I want them to, I have to believe that there's a God in heaven who still is sovereign over the affairs of man, who's still sovereign over the earth, who still has a plan for where this is all going and where it's all shaping up to be. So in the same way that we hold other people accountable, I think we need to start holding ourselves accountable. Jesus says, before you're so quick to judge another person and point out the uh, speck in their eye, you might want to do what? Take care of the old plank sticking out of your eye. It's like you see this other person and they've got this little speck and you got this giant plank and all you can point out is about how everybody else is so evil and cruel and unjust and God's like, let's start with you, my friend. Which brings us to our third and final question tonight. As Christ followers, how do we do this? How do we show honor 
to our earthly and civic leaders, those that are involved with earthly government. And I use the word earthly government here, you guys, because Jesus' government is not of this earth, it's of the heavens. The kingdom of God is not earthly government. It's heavenly government. And the Bible says that his kingdom is coming. It's now and it's not yet, meaning we get to taste of it now because of what Jesus has instituted by way of his death and resurrection. But come on, it hasn't been fully consummated yet, meaning that we live between this tension between God's will being done and God's will not always being done. What what do I mean by that? If Jesus tells us to pray in this way, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that must imply that his will, his perfect and pleasing will doesn't always get done. When children are trafficked into sex slavery, how many of you guys know God's perfect and pleasing will is not being done, right? When people are being oppressed and, and persecuted, how many of you guys know that that's not God's perfect and pleasing will? When people are being murdered and defamed and corrupted by greed, how many of you guys know that's not God's perfect will? And yet, for now, he seems to permit it. Why? Because his kingdom hasn't yet fully come. That's why you and I, those who put our hope in Christ, who become new spiritual creations in Jesus, who've been given this mandate and this ministry of reconciliation and intercession within the earth, have such a divine mandate and such a divine responsibility to steward well what God's given us so that we can partner with God in bringing heaven to earth and seeing his perfect and pleasing will be done in situations where people are trafficked, in situations where people are are impoverished, in situations where those who have power and authority rule unjustly. You and I carry that as believers. We are ambassadors, not of a political party. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. And what is the kingdom? It's his righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's God's rule and his reign working through you and working through me to bring about change in the earth. Eventually, God's gonna put it all to rights, but until then, we live between the now and not yet. And we live as those who intercede and pray and step into that gap in between those two tensions and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe God for your perfect and pleasing will to be done. And yeah, I may not agree with this person or this political party or what's happened in the, in the last two years or the way that the church has been shut down or the way that people have acquiesced or complied with things that violate God's will. But I'm going to stand in a place where I recognize that my God is still king. Jesus is still king. He still has all authority and he will rule and reign until God puts all of his enemies under his footstool. Until the kingdom of our God becomes the kingdom of this world. That's what we're living for, you guys. So, with that said, how do we do that? How do we continue to honor everyone and fear God and love the brotherhood and honor the emperor? How do we honor our civic leaders? How do we do this as followers of Jesus who have been entrusted with authority? The first thing Jesus does after his resurrection is he empowers his disciples to carry authority. He says, whatever you forgive will be forgiven. It's, it's, it's amazing to me how much God trusts you and I with authority to do things in his name. I believe if we accept that all authority comes from God, that was number one, and we accept that God is the one that can take away authority and remove people from positions of power, then we also have to, number three today, live as people under authority. We have to live as people under authority. What do I mean by this? You guys know that in the Bible, there's only two places where it says that God marvels. There's only two places in all of scripture where it says that God 
or Jesus specifically, was amazed. He marveled. He said, wow. One of them was when Jesus was ministering in his own hometown, and it says that he could do no major miracles except heal a few people because of their unbelief. And he marvels at their unbelief, at their willingness not to believe God. The second, and we're going to look at it, is in Luke chapter 7. So go there with me real quick as we prepare to close. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. It says this, And after he had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, Jesus entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. They start pointing to the man's accolades and effort. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not even trouble yourself any further, for I am not even worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority. And I have soldiers underneath me and I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He said, wow. And he turned to the crowd that was with him. And he said, I tell you, not even in all of Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the man's, the centurion's servant healed and well. You guys, this is such an amazing story to me. It's Jesus in the midst of, of Encountering a Gentile centurion soldier. A centurion was a Roman soldier who had authority over a hundred other men, hence the word centurion. He was responsible, he was a captain of a hundred men. He wasn't a Jew, he didn't walk in covenant with God. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't an, an heir to the promise of Abraham. And yet Jesus marvels at his faith. And he says, I haven't seen anybody else that knows how to have this kind of faith. And what was the faith, you guys? Was it that the man circled uh, Capernaum seven times and then shouted? Was it that he performed some magic formula or gave a great offering or did all these things? No, his faith was that he essentially was a man under authority who knew how to receive orders and honor up, who knew how to walk in honor and authority. I want to say this, your faith will always be determined by what authority you are under. Your faith will always be determined by what authority you are under. So as Christ followers, we have to endeavor to live under Christ's appointed authority for our lives. This includes spiritual leaders like we talked about last week, but it also includes earthly leaders. Here's a man walking under the authority of Rome, a corrupt empire, who honored Jesus by simply taking him at his word, by saying, just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus' response is, what 
amazing faith. What amazing faith. And he stands absolutely amazed. Now, you know what God's not amazed by? When you and I choose to dishonor authority in our life. Here's a great question to ask yourself. Is your speech or your actions towards your leaders edifying or does it tear them down? Are you a uniter or are you a divider? As I said at the beginning of this message, we've seen a lot of division happen within our nation over the past few years, socially, politically, economically, racially, spiritually. And my question for us is why would the devil have to get involved dividing people when he already has people doing his job for him? Say what? Why would the devil have to raise a finger when oftentimes we allow our own actions to be so divisive? When you align with a spirit of division and a spirit of rebellion, you are not aligning with the spirit of God to bring unity out of the chaos. When you say things like F Joe Biden and then F the police, Come on, now we're digging into it. And F the government and give the finger to the man. Come on, what you're really doing, what you're really doing is you're giving into a false narrative that all authority doesn't actually come from God. And you're believing the devil's lie. Come on. This is actually what I believe the enemy wants us to believe, that God's not actually in control. Because if I don't believe that all authority comes from God, and I don't believe that it comes from what he said, then I don't actually have to believe that he's actually in control, right? And then I can just do whatever I want, be sovereign over my own life. What does Paul say? We're not slaves to sin, we're slaves to Christ. But he uses the word slave. It's a strong word. It's really strong. It means that we're not just free to just do whatever the heck we want. And so when you and I get enraged by people that say F the police, and then we're over here saying F Joe Biden, aren't we guilty of hypocrisy? Aren't we guilty of a double standard? Aren't we guilty of doing the same thing that we want other people not to do? And then they're doing the same thing that we don't want them to do. And then we see chaos and all the division and all of the hatred and all of the bitterness just continue to pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up until when? When's it gonna stop? When you and I, Take the posture of servants of God who know how to honor well. This man, a centurion soldier, could honor Jesus and he didn't even have a relationship with God. What's our excuse? I know this is hard and heavy tonight, you guys. But when we live as those who embrace authority, we live under authority, we honor Jesus by coming into alignment with what he came to do, which is to do what? Advance his Father's kingdom, not our own political affiliations and tastes. You guys, I firmly believe that we should be involved in politics. I firmly believe that we should use our voice and be engaged and be redemptive presences within politics and be redemptive presences within our society and our cities. We have a voice. Let's use our voice, but let's do so for good. Let's do so for honor. Let's do so to bring attention and fame to King Jesus because it's such a slippery slope when we begin to think that some human being is gonna fix our world. For those of you that are older, You've lived through enough political cycles to know politicians ain't going to fix it. 
Philanthropy ain't going to fix it. Humanitarian aid ain't going to fix it. You can't get Leonardo DiCaprio to fix it. It doesn't matter who we look to if we're not looking to King Jesus, because only King Jesus can advance his father's kingdom and put the world to rights. I believe this, and I believe that this is why we need to use our voices honorably as those under authority who say, you know what, I may not be in agreement with this. Come on, but I'm going to honor up. I'm going to honor up. As I said at the beginning of my message, I know some of you may not agree with me on all this, and that's okay, but if nothing else, my encouragement to you is to reflect deeply upon how your actions bring attention to Jesus or create obstacles for people, for people that are looking for reasons to believe that your God is so good all the time. We say things like, God is so good all the time, and then we have a world all around us going, give me a reason for it. Give me a proof for it. Give me a reason for the hope that you have. And you know how we do that? By honoring. By honoring. When we honor law enforcement, we honor Jesus. When we honor our elected leaders, we honor Jesus. When we honor those God has given authority to, we honor Jesus. And like the centurion, I believe that we become people of great faith. Honor up. Give honor to those whom honor is due. And watch how God will elevate you and bless you. And watch how your desire to bring your life into alignment with God's will for your life and the unity that it has for you will bring blessing and favor and increase and grace. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.